This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Emeris, CPA with Parmelis and Associates. I've been reading a book and encourage all of you to check it out. If you are a reader, and even if you're not a reader, it's a really easy read. And personally, I think it's very interesting. It's called Die With Zero by a guy named Bill Perkins. And it really has a novel approach to how we look at retirement and really spending throughout your life because he feels that so many people just get it wrong. Do you have enough now? Will you in five years, 10 years, or whatever age you decide to retire? And do you even know what that number is? And that's exactly what I want to talk about this week. Before we get to that, I just wanted to thank all of my dedicated listeners, because without you all, there would be no show. I love all the feedback that I get, but the biggest show of thanks is when I hear people sharing this with someone else that they think would enjoy it as well. So as always, If you enjoy it, the biggest way you could say thank you is to share it with someone else and hopefully more people can get this information. Also, none of this would be possible without our dedicated sponsors, Promotive and NapaTrax. For over 30 years, NapaTrax has made selecting a right shop management system easy by offering the best, most comprehensive SMS in the industry. We'll prove to you that Trax is the single best shop management system in the business. Visit them online at NapaTrax.com. That's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. Promotive has over 40 years of recruiting and automotive experience. If you're in need of qualified technicians and service advisors and want to offload the heavy lifting, visit them online at gopromotive.com. So like I said before, special thanks to our sponsors, Promotive and Napa Tracks, always standing by us and also helping shop owners just like you. Um, I want to have a quick little shout out here is if you are a proud user of Napa Tracks or Promotive, maybe both of them, would love to hear about it. We always like to put in testimonials here. I hear it firsthand. I always like to share that with our sponsors as well. And they see it sometimes as well too. And let me know, hey, they heard about us from your podcast. If you do have a shout out, if you did say, hey, you know what, Hunt? I decided to check out Napa Tracks from one of your episodes and I love it or I tried, decided to hire Promotive because I heard about it on your podcast, please, please, please shoot me an email. Remind me about it. Let me know. So I give you a shout out. And also, like I said, the sponsors love to hear this kind of feedback as well, too. Remember to shoot me an email about that at podcast at parmelis.com. So this episode is a three-in-one episode, obviously talking about the book, Die With Zero, that I read and really recommend that you check out as well. But also it goes back to what I alluded to before. This is, I wouldn't say where my New Year's resolution came from, but this is a huge piece of it is what is your number? When is enough? And and what are you doing to live your life deliberately? And also the third aspect of this is maybe you don't like to read, don't like to listen to it. This will give you some pretty good cliff notes, which if nothing else should get your brain kind of spinning. But don't think I'm not a good enough paraphraser. I am doing the book a disservice. So check it out. But I want to give you the overall idea of the book. And no, I am not paid by this guy, Mr. Bill Perkins, even though I did have Allison try and reach out and see if he's willing to come on the podcast. But the whole point of his book would probably mean that he would never come on this podcast because he values his time probably more than sitting down and talking with me. But the overall idea of the book is that most people are terrified of running out of money in retirement. We've been preconditioned not only in our own lives, but also retirement that, hey, we don't want to die on the street with nothing, be put into some sort of home, you name it. 
In reality, though, when you really look at statistics, it is not a very common phenomenon for a number of reasons. So one of the reasons we have Social Security, you have family members, you have children probably, and as long as you treat them with some respect, generally you don't end up dying on the street with nothing. But really, the author puts this into a lot of different ways and with real life examples, statistics and everything like that. But it's a whole idea between, and, and there's a kind of a name for this fallacy, but where you think something is a lot more likely to happen than it really is. And what people are actually concerned about isn't the stuff that they should be concerned about at all. Think about how many people you know in your life that are afraid to fly. It is not a very uncommon thing. Fear of flying is one of the most common phobias out there, but it is a generally irrational fear. Yeah, it's a lot scarier but the thoughts of it, of taking off on a runway. But that same person's probably not going to bat an eye getting into his car and getting behind a wheel. You are much more likely statistically, numbers-wise, every way, shape, and form to die in a motor vehicle accident than you are in an airplane. How many people are afraid of getting bit by a shark? Probably much more likely to get struck by lightning, yet we don't see people running out away from everything as soon as lightning hits 5, 10 miles away. So this is the same idea of retirement. People are afraid of something that probably is not a fear that they should be. The deeper thing on here is a different way to look at money. The whole adage behind this is money is money. There is no equivalence. The only equivalence is gold. Hey, what is money worth? When he talks about a completely different way is that time is money. And in fact, money is time. This is algebra 101, that this equation can be used both ways. Think about it this way. Your time equals money. If you work for someone, including yourself, you have an hourly rate. Hey, how much are you exchanging that hour of your time worth? Now, when you first start out and you have some people on your team right now, that might be exchanging their time for $20 an hour. Go and try to hire a CEO of a publicly traded company for $20 an hour. They're not going to because they value their time at a much higher rate than that. Now, the same flip side. Hey, why do some of these people spend their money like it's going out of style? Because that's also how you should be valuating your money as well. If you're looking at something that's $100 and you make $20 an hour, you're thinking to yourself, hey, is this worth five hours of my time? I already worked or I need to work five hours in order to, for this to make sense. Hey, for something silly, for something you might use for one minute, you might think, no, that's a waste of my time and money. I wasted five hours just to do that and it's over in two seconds? No, thank you. Now, why do you think that someone that makes... $3 million a year might have a completely different input. Hey, that cost me 10 seconds. So if I got 10 seconds of enjoyment, that is a pretty even trade. Another thing on this, going even deeper than that, is that it shows the scarcity in our lives is really time, not money. You've heard of this adage time and time again. You cannot exchange money for time or health. And when it really comes down to it, people are always looking for more time. It very is very rare that someone gets to the end of their life and they are still looking for more money. Why does that become abundantly clear? Maybe we get greater focus when we get older. No, it all comes down to scarcity. And we all think right now that money is the scarce thing because we all think that we are going to live forever. However, the closer and closer you do get to that final date on it, you realize, hey, all the money in the world cannot buy me an extra day or even an extra minute of life in most sense. Yeah, there's medical advances and stuff like that, but even the super rich haven't figured out how to live forever. So I don't think that you and I are probably very close either. And then how do you know when to stop? 
when you do get to that point where you said, hey, I have now amassed as much money as I will ever need and can possibly spend before I die, why the heck am I still exchanging my time for money? Why don't I start exchanging that money for things, for experiences, for stuff for other people, for charity for my kids, whatever it is? But how do you know when to stop if you do not know what your number is? Some of this is really all of this is conceptual. If a little bit of a clickbait title of this week's episode is what is your number? Because that's truly a question. And that is the overall idea I want you to take away from this. You should not be leaving this episode with a number in the back of your head. And if you do, then great. You probably do very good mental math, or maybe you've already done your homework before listening to this. But what I want to do is just trying to get this idea into your head, if nothing other than to get you thinking and to get you start looking into this a little bit more. If you had enough money today, would you retire? And seriously, think about to yourself. Think about this as don't think about what that dollar amount is. Let's just assume, hey, as of right now today, you have plenty of money. You will never run out of money. You will be able to live your lifestyle that you want. Would you still show up to work the next day? Would you still have to show up to work the next week? And if you would keep on showing up, would you operate your business and probably personal life a little bit differently? Of course you would. I think that it would be irrational for you to live your life exactly the same, knowing that you could retire today if you didn't want to. If you are saying, hey, I'm going to live my life exactly the same, is that a bad thing or a good thing? Depending on who you ask, but if you ask me, then that means that that's probably a pretty darn good thing. Unless you still have that fear that, hey, Hunt's lying to me, I don't actually have enough to retire. If you truly are saying, hey, I would change nothing about my life, even if I could retire today, then what that probably means is that you're exchanging your time for a way that you find acceptable. You've already modified your life to say, hey, this is where I want to be. This is what I want to be doing. You should be extremely happy with that because there's a lot of people that could not stay the same thing. But I think that we have all seen this shop owner and you've got a couple of you guys listening might have even bought these shops from them when they finally decide to hang it up. But everyone knows that shop down the street. Been around forever, guy that runs it, still there every single day, maybe 65, 70 years old, but always in a good mood, right? Never seemed too busy. Hey, try to get him to work on some stuff. He sent some customers our way because the customers told us he just didn't feel like doing it today. A lot of these guys run what we call hobby shops. A lot of them do some pretty cool stuff, race car prep, all kinds of it because they have enough money. They are not there because they need this. They have not raised their labor rate because they truly don't need the money that they're doing. They are doing this because it's their passion. It what gets them up every single day. It what gives them direction because they already know, hey, as soon as I am no longer having fun doing this, I'm going to leave and I'm going to operate my business that way. I have a number of clients that are still living that really right now. They are still running their shop. They are still in the same community as we are. They are shop owners but they have a completely different perspective on this. Getting back to the basics, getting back to the core of probably why they got in this industry. Hey, I like to help people. I like to do cool stuff. I like to use my hands. I like to work on cars. If people are going to do what I want to do, if they're going to bring us stuff that I want to work on, then great. If they're going to be rude, if you're going to chastise me, if you're going to try to dictate what I do, how much I can charge, hey, go somewhere else. It's a free country. I'm free to work on what I want. You're free to shop where you would like but is a completely different mindset. No one is ever sitting on their deathbed wishing that they had worked more or spent less time doing the things that they love with the people that they love. If anything, it is the exact opposite. One of the big examples here that comes out of the book 
And there's tons of stuff here. I don't want to devalue the book. I am not trying to have a copyright infringement here. This is the kind of stuff where it's like, guys, you really should read this because there is a couple things out of there where I'm like, wow, that is really good. And a couple more of them where I'm like, hey, I should really highlight that so I can use that in an episode. But hey, life gets the best of me and I don't always travel around with a highlighter and it doesn't really work that well of an iPad screen anyways. But the story talks about this is, well, hey, dying with zero, how am I going to die with nothing? And realistically, no one ever dies with zero. Zero would be the perfect theoretical, hey, if you were to come up with a magic number, of course, why would you want to die with anything? That means that you left something in the tank or maybe you've already exhausted some of that tank that you didn't need to. And so the example of this is a person that dies with $150,000 in their bank. And sometimes that is even people's ultimate goal there. Hey, I want to die with something. I got to leave it for the mothers of the poor or the Humane Society or little Johnny so that he can finally take his kids to Disney World. And we'll talk about in a little bit why that's a little bit of a ridiculous goal too. But let's just talk about that idea of exchanging time for money and then money for time. NapaTrax has made selecting the right shop management system easy by offering the industry's best, most comprehensive SMS. It all starts when a local representative meets with you to learn about your business and how you need to run it. After all, it's your shop, so it's your choice, and having a local representation is a huge plus. Customizing tracks to your business, whether you're a one-person shop or a large multi-bay or multi-location company, our representative consults with you to help optimize your shop's workflow, efficiency, and profitability. And unlike the other guys, we'll be there for you after installation with the best training and support in the business with a learning management system tailored to each role in your company. Simply put, Trax was designed and built for shop owners just like you. Visit us on the web at napatrax.com. That's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. Are you tired of spending endless hours searching for the perfect talent to join your team? Promotive is your full-service automotive staffing solution. At Promotive, we believe in being more than just a recruiting agency. We become an extension of your team, working tirelessly to ensure we place the right talent with the right shops. With our always-be-recruiting mindset, we're constantly seeking out the best professionals in the industry. We manage 90-95% to of the recruiting process, taking the burden off your shoulders. When you partner with Promotive, you gain a dedicated recruiter and account manager who will work closely with you, understanding your unique requirements and seeking out candidates who fit seamlessly into your shop's culture. We'll ensure that every candidate we present is thoroughly vetted and aligned with your needs. With Promotive, you'll have a peace of mind knowing that we're handling the recruitment process with expertise and precision. We don't just match resumes, we match character, culture, and long-term success. Visit our website at gopromotive.com today and experience the power of Promotive's expertise and dedication. Together, we'll build a stronger and more successful team. This person dies with $150,000 in their bank account and the author says, man, what a waste of time. Not a waste of money, what a waste of time. To figure that out, you got to go back to what we were talking about before. Hey, time is money and money is time. That exchange rate doesn't always work one-to-one both ways. And so what he talks about here is let's say that this person makes $50,000 a year and they end up dying with $150,000 in their bank. It should not be lauded as, hey, look, they set themselves up properly for retirement and they were able to live their life and still had money left over. No, it's you could have done this earlier. What were you waiting for? 
if this person retired at 68 and they made $50,000 a year, they could have retired at 65 and still had enough money to live the life that they wanted. Why would they spend those three extra years or why would you spend that extra 6,000 hours for nothing? And you might be thinking to yourself, well, it's not for nothing. It's not like that they were working for free for those three years, but in essence, they were. All the money in the world is great, but if you never get to use any of it, then why? We can't take it with you. They're not going to bury you with that 150 grand. And to a certain extent, probably have virtually no control of what ends up happening after that. What is your number? And the whole idea behind this, or how I took meaning from the book, has to do with living your life deliberately, and specifically retirement, instead of just being along for the ride. And this is why it's so important to figure out your number, because you could be extremely close to this number, probably should be, if you're getting a little bit closer to retirement age, or not even close at all, depending on your goals and your current situation. Again, if you're not close whatsoever and you're 40 years old, that's a lot different than if you're not close whatsoever and you're 65 years old. Nothing worse than talking to someone that needs to retire and wants to retire, but actually cannot afford to retire or doesn't think that they can afford this. And I'll give you this kind of example here before we really talk about how we figure out this number. So let's imagine that you are planning to retire. The first example is going to be an early one. The second one is going to be obviously a little bit later. And as we talked about before, the whole idea is that this should not be a date. The retirement should not be a date, but essentially should just be a dollar amount. Whatever it takes to get that date or whatever date it takes to get that dollar amount is where you need to be. There's variables in that. If a certain amount of money at the age 50 is not going to have the same value at the age 70, I get it. There's intricacies here. But the idea is, hey, if you're looking at this and you're 40 years old and you're looking at this and saying, man, I am not really close. And to get to that number, I'm going to be 85. And I think retirement at 85 sounds crappy. So I need to change. I need to plan better. I need to invest better. I need to save better. I need to get a better job. I need to make more money. Whatever it is, there's still plenty of time to do this. Now, let's say that you are looking this and you're 65 years old and there's some of you listening that might have actually done this right now. You're on crunch time. Imagine thinking this whole time because you're just running on autopilot. By the time you get to be 65, things should have figured themselves out. And you're now looking at this saying, man, I don't have a whole lot of liquid funds. I don't have a whole lot invested. I don't really have any retirement set up. I just realized that my business might not be as worth as much as I think it is. It's never too late to do something different. But do you think that it's going to be easier to try to change that course and make some big differences and quick at 65 or at 40 years old? Neither of them is impossible. It's never too late. But more than likely... If you're at 65 years old, the dollar amount is probably going to be the thing that's going to change. Because if you do not have a realistic way to get to your ideal target, it's probably going to be easier to say, hey, my retirement might look different at a lower dollar amount. Or, hey, I could have that retirement that I always dreamed of, but $300,000 a year starting at age 78 probably is not going to give me much benefit. How do we figure out this number? And this is really the crux of my resolution and what I am currently still working on. And like I said, it is hard and it gets extremely complicated here. We're talking about compound interest. We're talking about inflation. We're talking about guaranteed returns, types of investment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the purpose of this episode is not to tell you what that is because it's impossible. 
But what I want to do is share some tips and ideas on it. And there is tons of calculators out there. But just like you don't do your taxes yourself, or probably don't do your taxes yourself, maybe you shouldn't be trying to do your own retirement or investments either. And I see this so much. Hunt, should I retire? Should I hire a professional financial advisor? Do you think that they're a waste of money? You're asking someone that does professional service if I think someone else's professional services are valuable. Then this is actually coming from someone that is in the professional services industry. How many of you scoff at a customer that comes in there and maybe devalues your services by saying, man, I already looked up a YouTube video. I I could do this if I really wanted to, but I just don't feel like it. You guys laugh. I laugh. I've heard this. I've seen the memes going out there on shop owners pages. Now, why do you think that you are different when you do the same for your own investments? When you do the same for your own retirement, you got a self-directed IRA. Do you think that someone that does this every day of the week, every single year, when has years of experience, might be able to do it a little bit better job than someone that has read some books, watched some videos, and done some research? Break pads are a little bit harder to mess up than a brokerage account or retirement account is. If nothing else, you are going to need to rely on professionals more than likely. This is the who, not the how. Don't figure out how to do it. Figure out who already knows how to do it and go and hire them. But like I said, this is a couple kind of tips and tricks and stuff that I've really been doing some of this myself, but also a lot of this has been shared in the book. And the general overall idea is that people really save too much. This is an example and also an example of calculating your number too. This is an example of retirement at 55 years old. Again, like I said, you're not really supposed to be going to a target date, but need to do a target date to back into the numbers to a certain extent. If I live 30 years old, and I'm going to use this example for myself, so I'm going to use my numbers, you put your own in here. Let's say I'm going to live 30 years if I retire at 55. I think I'm going to live till 85. I think current expectations or life expectancy is like 78, 79. But hey, I'm healthy. I'm invincible. Let's add a couple of years onto it. Now, who knows? I'm 35 right now. So by the time I'm 55, maybe the rich have figured out how to live forever. Hopefully, I'll be rich enough to be one of those people, even though I don't know. I have very old relatives and I don't know. Living to 110 doesn't really seem super attractive there, but I don't know. Maybe with spaceships and hovercrafts and stuff like that in the future, it'll make 100 a lot more enjoyable than it is now. So anyways, I am 35 now. If I'm looking at this, I say, hey, in the next 20 years, I need to be able to save up so that I can live off of $100,000 a year. Because $100,000 a year is going to be plenty for me in retirement if my house is paid off. If I need $100,000 a year for 30 years, that's $3 bucks right there. Now that I'm 35, in the next 20 years, I have two goals. One of them is I need to pay off my house. And the other one is I need to amass about $3 million to meet my expectations and be able to retire. And this right here is a prime example about why people save too much. If this holds true, I will die with almost guaranteed more money than when I retired. This is actually extremely common. There's kind of two areas of saving for retirement. There's people that do and there's people that don't. There is truly someone that have nothing to it, don't make a whole lot of money, and they rely exclusively on Social Security. Wonderful thing about Social Security is that it's your lifetime. You live for two years, you get two years of benefits, you live for 80 years on Social Security. Technically, it never runs out. Of the school of people that does save for retirement, statistically, over 80% of those people end up having more money at death 
than when they do when they retire. Think about that. Majority of people that retire end up dying with a higher net worth than when they were alive. Pretty crazy to think about. We're not going to get into the reverse mortgage side of it because that is one of these aspects. Hey, if your house is worth a million bucks at 55, when you die, what are the chances that it's worth less money 30 years later? And especially if kind of the market you're looking at now, imagine what someone bought that house for that they're selling today 30 years ago. But reverse mortgages, we're not going down that road. Let's just look at this money alone, this $3 million that we have in here. The first thing is that your money is going to be making you money. When you retire, you're actually transitioning from having your exchanging your time for money to exchanging your money for money. Once you get a certain amount of money, the money is doing the work for you. It doesn't actually need any of your labor inputs on there. And even at very realistic rates of return or interest rates on there, that $3 million that I have is going to get me $100,000 a year in interest without touching the principal with very little sweat. That would be a probably pretty crappy rate of return, but you could almost guarantee that you're going to get at least $100,000 a year out of that. And so what does that mean? That means that you are going to be able to take $100,000 a year out of that for 30 years and still have at least $3 million on there. So what does that mean? Well, really two things. You could probably say, hey, I could spend double that and I should start spending double that so that I actually use up that money before I die. Hey, that's great that you always have this bank that's bearing you interest on it. But if you're going to be left with $3 million when you finally die at 85, why wait to 55 and retire off $100,000 a year? Maybe you could retire at 45 and still be able to live off of $100,000 a year. Or, hey, if you know that you're going to have a surplus on it, don't think twice about taking that safari to Africa when you're 60. Go do it. You have the ability to do so. But that right there is also a big thing as well, too. What does your retirement look like? Because again, in reality, it's probably a lot different than what you're thinking. Everyone thinks about retirement. Oh, I'm going to travel the world. I'm going to do all of that. How much energy you got when you're 70? How much energy you got when you're 80 years old? Maybe you're that age or maybe your parents are, maybe your grandparents are. Spending is generally a bell curve for most people. And a bell curve means it's a big hump in the middle. This is terrible podcasting, but a hump on a camel's back, a one hump camel, not a two hump camel. The idea behind it is obviously when you are born and you're a baby, a toddler, a kid, you don't really spend that much money. It also doesn't hurt that you probably don't have any money to spend. Somewhere usually in people's mid to late 50 is where their peak spending is as then they start saving and then spending less at retirement. And so what most people find out is that when they are actually getting to their retirement age, they are already spending less money. And every year that goes by, you spend less and less. Hey, that week-long ski trip when you're 52 years old sounds like a ton of fun. That week-long ski trip when you're 72 years old sounds like a broken hip waiting to happen. Another reason why people probably save too much. Not only is your money working for you, but you're probably not going to spend as much as you think you are, especially the older and older that you get. The last one on here, though, is you're probably going to have other income sources. Like we talked about before, even if you just have Social Security, by the time you hit 66 or maybe you wait till you're 70 because you really don't need that money, even with pretty fair amounts of contributions on this, you're probably going to be getting twenty-five dollars to $30,000 a year just in Social Security income alone. You're married, double that, and half of this could be coming from your Social Security already. 
this is an example of the most common way that people look at retirement, right? How we expected this before, you can probably see why statistically so many of these folks ended up dying with more money than they ever needed. I get the fear. I get the idea behind it. I get wanting to leave it for kids or leave it with charity. And there is different things around all of that. I don't want to spoil any more of it. Hopefully, this kind of gave you some direction. And if nothing else, go out and check out that book. I think it'll get something out of it. If you like it, if you have something that you want to share, I always love to hear it. Shoot me an email. Hey, even if you have already read it, would love to hear if you enjoyed it or not. And I hope that this got you thinking about some of your own decisions a little bit differently. And don't think that I have spoiled this book. There is so much in there and it really opened my eyes and I hope can do the same for you. And it's an easy read. And I think that there are aspects that really talk directly to someone with an entrepreneurial spirit well, like yourself and myself as well too. And maybe you read it and don't think that's how you want to live your life at all. That's awesome too. This is the beauty of our country and our life that you can do whatever you want but you should always know your options. So as always, please share with friends. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a future episode, please shoot me an email at podcast at parmelis.com. Just want to say thanks again for listening on the Aftermarket Radio Network. You can find all shows on the aftermarketradionetwork.com and on your favorite podcast listening app. So thanks again for joining me on Business by the Numbers. Stay safe out there and I'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.